so many people that I work with that learned from and taught with Bill Mollison say that that's what Bill Mollison was about. And some other people say, no, that's not what Bill Mollison is about. And then I talk to Scott Pittman, who worked with him for so long, and I say, Scott, what the hell was Bill Mollison about? And he says, nobody knows what Bill Mollison was about. <laughs> he was a coyote. He was a, you know, he was a trickster sort of figure. And stop trying to figure out what Bill Mollison was about. Hold your own power and carry this thing forward and change it and evolutionize it and, you know, run with it. Stop trying to go back to the source as if that's going to get us where we need to go. to you greetings and welcome back to the making permaculture stronger podcast with your host dan palmer in this episode number 18 i am delighted to share a beautiful conversation i recently enjoyed with my friend and colleague i even want to say my uh, kindred spirit in permaculture adventures jason gerhard who both heads up a regenerative design company called Real Earth Design, and is the relatively, I believe, recently appointed director of the Permaculture Institute, which is based in the US. I so appreciated the chat with Jason, who I remember started commenting on the Making Permaculture Stronger blog, maybe three years back, and has been contributing more regularly in recent months. It's been wonderful to have someone who's been around for a similar period, Jason's been doing this sort of stuff for about 15 years and come to a lot of the same junctures and had the same crises. I don't know if I want to say existential crises, but come through those to similar realizations. And I'm so feel so excited and grateful to have people of Jason's caliber in the mix, consciously and actively taking a role in stewarding, supporting the evolution of permaculture in beautiful directions. I also really appreciated the Zen, Jason, as he says on the chat, is a, is a Zen practitioner, and I suspect that's part of, or got to be part of, the beautiful presence and the, the relaxed pace of the conversation. I really appreciated that, and I hope that at least a bit of that rubbed off on me. Enjoy the conversation, and I'll check in again at the end. I want to share some flavors of where the project in general is at and heading with you. Okay, let's go. Well, first, Dan, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I just want to say, you know, and make it known that I think what you're doing with this podcast is not just the podcast, all your written work and diagrams and everything is incredibly important for allowing permaculture to have its greatest potential. Um, that's, and that's basically what I, what I'm after as well. Um, so that's how I resonate with all this and where I'm coming to from it. Uh, so I've been, practicing permaculture for a little over 15 years now. I'm currently the director of the Permaculture Institute, Inc., which is in the United States, has been in Santa Fe, New Mexico for, I guess, going on 23 years now. And Scott Pittman started that with Bill Mollison and a, another fellow named Francis Huxley. And this was in 1997. And... 
Scott is now of you know advanced age and and realizing his his limitations in that regard. And I've been working with him through the institute for a very long time, seven or eight years now. Uh, so we really just recently formally transitioned things over to make me director and form a new board and kind of just start afresh. And part of that was Scott tasking me with, we need to take permaculture to the next level. We need to actually evolve it. Um, so that's that's my main mission, I'll say, with the Institute. I also run Real Earth Design, which is a design company I began in 2008 in Colorado at the time. I was really doing landscape design, I'll say, you know, from a permaculture lens and, and approach. And that went in, in various directions. And through that work, I, I had many epiphanies and realizations of what what it is that I actually care about rather than kind of living out the permaculture story, if that makes sense. I, I try to be very careful not to give other people a, a, a story to live out, like tell people who they should be. And I feel as if I've been on that journey myself for the last 10 years, really robustly trying to figure out what it is that I care about. What am I trying to do? use permaculture for in the world and get very clear on it. And it's not a destination, it's a journey and a process and probably will be forever. So that's another bias of mine, you could say. So I do a lot of design work all over the country, um, predominantly in the U.S. I have done a little bit of work in Latin America, um, Central America. And we do everything from residential landscape design like you know bigger landscapes not necessarily small urban stuff anymore We're, we've kind of grown out of that and we do whole farm design and we do urban planning projects and you know right now I'm being asked to join a couple RFPs for a campus a new campus design for a university in Utah and so I'm just, I'll just be consulting with a group of architects and landscape architects and kind of bringing a permaculture approach, which is sort of unique and challenging in its own, in its own right, working in the, the established design trade, I'll say. Um, so that's a lot of my work is really working with landscape architects and architects and people who are designers, you know, uh, professional designers and trying to infuse their work with permaculture, not necessarily in the lens of let's add a little permaculture to this now, but how do we use the process from the get go and throughout rather than put in a food forest or some swales or whatever, just to appease the permaculture uh, methodology or, or, or the material permaculture things. Um, so I'm a process person. I'm, you know, I will, I do, I do a lot of my own design and draft work, and um, I also bring in landscape architects to do a lot of that work, and I can hold the process a little more easily that way without being overburdened with you know, having to hold all these other pieces. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. I teach a lot of permaculture courses. Um, increasingly, I want to teach something other than the typical PDC format. Uh, I just took a year off uh, from teaching to really explore what that would look like and get clear within myself on what do I want to do? What do I want to bring? And Scott and I are now developing curriculum, new curriculum that 
whether we call it the PDC or not, it remains to be seen. But we want to be offering different courses uh, than the typical format. And largely that's from the premise of a lot of things have changed in the last 30, 40 years, you know, since that curriculum was developed and taught all over the world by Bill. And it's time to, it's time for an update, right? It's really just time for an update. So teacher, designer, student, uh, forever learner, that sort of thing that, that encapsulates me. Wow. I'm feeling excited to be in conversation with you and feel so much resonance with my relationship with permaculture over the years. Mm. And yeah, even just some of the, the things you've realized in the, in the, the emphases you bring, like when you talked about not wanting to come be bored at the end to, to add a dash of permaculture <laughs> right, right. over the top. Yeah. Sprinkle some permaculture on this plan. You know? right. Yeah, so we can, we can mention that, you know, involves right. permaculture design as part of the, the sales pitch or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and part of that, of course, reflects the fact that you don't see permaculture as a, as, as a grab bag of things to, 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 to litter around, but, but a deeper holistic approach that's appropriate to have from the beginning. That's right. Mm. That's right. I'd be fascinated for anything you're happy to share. Maybe we can come back to this when in your work with Scott Pittman in terms of evolving or, or generating some some new content that feels relevant to the current time in terms of educational offerings and so on. Mm-hmm. But it'd be great to hear what you've recently published a guest um, or you gave me permission to republish a post of yours on the Making Permaculture Stronger blog that talked through your journey over the years with permaculture and permaculture design and that the the, the experience of feeling a deep affinity for it mm-hmm. and its appropriateness and its relevance and the depth of what it brings in terms of being able to contribute to, to service in the world, as well as along the way, you know, de- detecting some some parts that didn't resonate so well. Right. Uh, you know, would you, yeah, maybe, maybe if you're happy to speak about that a little bit. Yeah, totally. I can't speak about this without going all the way back to the beginning. And so for me, it it was really about, I was 18 years old and I was a burnt out young menace on the streets, honestly. And my friends were dying and going to jail and killing other people, frankly. And I didn't like either of those alternatives, death or jail. And so I made a radical shift and basically abandoned the culture that I was a part of. And I ran off and got into Zen Buddhism immediately, moved into a monastery and was looking for a pattern to live, a different pattern to live by um, is how I describe it. And for me, that's what permaculture is about. Uh, I found permaculture at the monastery as referenced in the guest post. I have a call to serve. I have a call. I have, I don't know what call is a weird way of saying it. I have an urge to serve and that's a blessing and a curse in some ways. I, I was just thinking about this earlier today. I, it, it's a curse in the sense of, you know, it's very important to me that what I spend my time doing has a meaningful impact. And I cannot muster any motivation to do anything if it doesn't. Um, so that's sort of like my own polarity there and, and, and blessing and curse and comes with its challenges as well as its joys. So for me, it's about culture, uh, honestly. And, and it took me a long time to 
I really dove into the material aspects of permaculture as, as a design methodology of, you know, creating things and all the sustainable things in the world I, I, I realized aren't going to get us where we need to go because we're going to continue to develop new problems. I firmly believe that our internal processes and patterns are the thing that creates the world. And if we want a different result, we have to fundamentally change our internal processes and patterns. And the world is a manifestation of what's inside of us. Uh, so, you know, we could swale every hillside and food forest, every park and, and all of that and still be deeply doomed. Um, so that's, that's my, my premise is that we need to change culture if we want to change the world. And if we want to change culture, we need to change ourselves. And that to me is actually what permaculture education is about. That's what the PDC is about. That's what so many people that I work with that learned from and taught with Bill Mollison say that that's what Bill Mollison was about. And some other people say, no, that's not what Bill Mollison is about. And then I talk to Scott Pittman, who worked with him for so long, and I say, Scott, what the hell was Bill Mollison about? And he says, Nobody knows what Bill Mollison was about. <laughs> he was a coyote. He was a, you know, he was a trickster sort of figure. And stop trying to figure out what Bill Mollison was about. Hold your own power and carry this thing forward and change it and evolutionize it and, you know, run with it. Stop trying to go back to the source as if that's going to get us where we need to go. Right. So, and I still see, you know, I see articles permaculture articles that go back to permaculture one as if that somehow legitimizes what one's going to say. And I don't think the early permaculture articulations got it right, frankly. Um, and I think partly that's, that's what your work is about. And that's where I'm going with it, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say is I'm taking this in a, in a cultural realm and moving it a little bit away from the material realm. It's more of an internal process by far than it is an external process. It's difficult for me to say that in full truth, however, because I feel the external part actually deeply helps us in our internal. You know, they inter are, they're, they're two of the same, two sides of the same coin, right? So working in a garden, even doing a design project, like going through the motions of designing radically changes how you think and if you do that over and over and over again you change yourself right and so i think that's part of the permaculture methodology is that it using the design process however you articulate it in any form even just practicing site analysis and doing sectors and zones you know at the very base that can change you you know that can really change how you see the world and what you look for and how you see interrelationships and, you know, the interdependency between things. Um, so that's a really good step. And I think we can take it a whole lot further. And, and again, that's, that's a lot of the resonance with your work. Uh, so, yeah, in a nutshell, to me, I, I'm going right back to how I got into this in the sense of I wanted to change culture. I didn't want to change landscapes. I, I, don't, I don't know if I ever, you know, before I formulated this vision as a teenager, I don't know if I ever set foot in a unaltered landscape, you know, a, a non-human impacted landscape. 
for one, I don't know how many of those actually exist, but I mean that in the sense of what I knew of nature was grass lawns in the city and, you know, trees grown on the street side. Like that was it. So I wasn't a nature boy. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in culture and, and I was suffering, honestly. Like I was deeply hurt by the world we live in and the things that we do to each other and the approaches that we take to life. And I wanted to find a way to heal that both within myself, but also share that in the world and heal that for others. So frankly, that's, that's really where I'm coming from. That's, that's the gist of it. Mm, well, thank you so much. That's, that's yeah, beautiful to hear. Wow. Yeah. I was, as you're talking about, I was thinking of a, a distinction that's becoming more more prominent in the way I think about all this, which is between process and outcome. And And often initially it's the, the outcomes are tangible, they're external, they're the swales and food forests and everything else. And it's, it's like sometimes that can be the candy, that the, the, you know, the, the glittering prize that, that gets people excited and, and draws them in. And there are people who's, in a sense, a lot of what their role is in permaculture is to show off the, <laughs> to show off the candy. It's, hey. They're the ice cream man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, ice creams that can keep going, perennial permanent ice creams. <laughs> which is important and as you say without actual physical external changes you know we're screwed or that that's a critical part of the picture but mm. behind any outcome is some kind of process which has has an internal component and is the component of of dealing with other people and that's what fires me up and, and excites me about permaculture is that at the heart of our culture and there's deep default ways of being processed that reliably create outcomes that are ugly alienating deathly horrific and, and, and all that so this idea of permaculture having this enormous potential to support the evolution of the of the default processes or the way you know the way we go about creating things and when you, you talked about the that word healing which I've been reflecting on a little bit lately in, in its relationship to the idea of whole or wholeness. Mm. You know, for, for me, the, the concept of healing, when you try and define it, it, there's something in there around becoming whole again, about becoming integrated. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this because to me, a big part of the, I, I just recently listened to a podcast, maybe I can link to, I can't pronounce the guy's surname. It was Charles Eisenstein, Daniel Schuckenberger or something. Uh. But um, he, he talked about the, the epoch transition that we're at now and how historically, traditionally in pre-modern times that humans were naturally, what they did was they, they created holes, they supported wholeness and they participated in evolution and lived in, in, a, in an adapted way with the landscapes. And so what they were doing, but, but it was largely unconscious, like there was no, you know, they weren't writing books or, or consciously articulating the nature of how they did that. And then we've moved into an era where we're consciously creating parts. And so creating all these, these different parts and chopping up the world as we do it and, and ta right. taking complex systems like ecosystems and trees and, and, and so on, and then, and then turning them into simple parts, two by fours, and then, and then rejoining them together into buildings and laptops and everything else that are complicated, but not complex. And that is, in a sense, that whole directionality that the process is saying, fuck you to evolution. You know, uh -huh. we're humans. We, don't, we don't need to participate in the greater whole anymore. And he was talking about that transition that we're facing now is, is from the conscious creation of parts to the conscious creation of wholes, which hasn't happened before. Mm. And that to me is a core part of healing. What does it mean to re to come back into wholeness, to be able to honor the wholeness of the landscapes and the 
the cultural and external landscapes we're part of and, and re-participate in their evolution. Does that sort of fit in with how you see your... It, it definitely does. Um, and I would add that amongst ourselves, amongst you know, our fellow humans, it is the same sort of reintegration or wholeness that, we, that we're trying to create you know, as well as with the, the natural world or so-called natural world. So, yeah, this actually makes me think about maybe seven or so years ago. Um, this was really when I started become, becoming disillusioned with my own process as a designer. And I was teaching it right at the same time, which comes with a great responsibility to make sure you're equipping people with the right thing, right? and that's a whole can of worms. There's a lot to say about that. So I won't exactly go down that rabbit hole. But what I originally jumped on down that journey was um, Christopher Alexander's work, uh, I think, similarly to what you've been doing. And, you know, in permaculture courses or, or in permaculture circles, you could say a pattern language, Christopher Alexander's A Pattern Language book is always mentioned, right? And I had read that cover to cover. And frankly, I didn't get a whole lot out of it. I was just like, this sounds like more stuff. This sounds like more things. And I've been creating these things. And while some of these things are really cool and unique and, you know, fresh to me, it's still stuff. And so I went back to that book and realized I never read the first volume, which is A Timeless Way of Building. And so I got that book and I read that book in depth and there's no possible way you can understand a pattern language unless you read that book, right? Or you're going to gravely misunderstand a pattern language. And so that book is about holes, right? And it's sort of in it. It's his, I think his first attempt to try and describe this, this holism, so to speak. And what I always go to from that is what he calls the quality that can't be named or a quality without a name. Right. And it's a quality that can't be named because it's so damn big. <laughs> you know, what, what one f feels and what's going on, the interactions, one, it's sort of invisible because you can't see all the parts interacting at the same time, right? You, you just can't. That's the power of the, the Earth globe image, you know, when people first went to space and that image came back. It was like, oh, wow, we see the whole now, right? Which is not exactly seeing the whole. It's just sort of seeing an image. but. What Alexander is just describing in that book is this holism that is very difficult to manufacture, very difficult to design out of material things, right? And I think he actually, on some level, my own critique of Alexander is that he kind of went wrong with the pattern language. And I think in reading some of his later books, I think he actually admits that in, in some ways, just sort of corrects that and says, you know, that's just more stuff. And the Nature of Order series, that four, three, I forget how many volumes are in it, is much more deep and really goes into the, I don't know if it's spiritual or what, uh, um, but that, that deeper human development side of things, I would say. And moving away from, well, we can assemble all these unique things and achieve a whole. And I don't think that you can. You know, I, I don't... I, truly don't believe that that's how it works. Um, so it certainly that's not how it works in my experience. So it's a struggle to be somebody who's working for holes uh, as a designer, uh, because you actually, 
one of a, a post to go on your blog. Um, I think his name is John Carruthers. Am I saying that right? He said people have a bias for action, which immediately means they have a bias for parts, right? So they don't even have reference of the whole before it's like, let's get a hoop house. Let's get a, you know, six row cedar. Let's get a key line plow, whatever. And start getting to work. And I, for me, that's my challenge as a designer. It's, it's a difficult position to hold to stop people from jumping in, into the parts and embrace the whole. And frankly, it takes a lot longer and costs more money, um, therefore, because it takes more of my time, which is a whole nother can of worms that we can dive into as well. So yeah, that's really my perspective. I'll say I'm working on a project right now it's 240 acres. I'm not good with hectares, so I apologize to everybody else in the world. Um, <laughs> that is a huge piece of land. It's got 100 plus acres of fields, uh, almost 100 acres of woods, and a lot of topography, two watersheds. It's a huge piece of land and a lot of social dynamics. And it's in St. Louis County, North St. Louis County, which has its own social sphere that people may or may not be familiar with but it's a challenging place there's a lot of poverty there's a lot of pain and heartache and hardship and that's a part of this whole as well and so as we go down I'm the lead designer on this project as we go through this the steps I can hold the holism for only so long you know before people before my partners on the project want to get to work and so I've had to get comfortable with saying, well, let's get to work then. Let's do some things and do them small and not make too many big permanent changes. Keep our eye on the whole while also satiating the desire to do something. I still, I feel like I'm doing something when I'm planning and looking at the whole, but not everybody does. Um, so it's really about balancing those two things and finding a way forward that that meets the needs of everybody without sacrificing the whole for the parts. And that's my challenge with every single project I do. Honestly, it's, it's paradigm level work. You know, it's, I can put a pen to a page and I can tell you what to do to set up a market farm. Um, but there's so much more potential if you don't jump to that immediately. Right. And that potential is very difficult to tap once you get down the path of doing something, right? You get swept up in it, you get very involved in it, and you lose your greater potential. So for me, Joel Glansberg is a major influence on me. Um, I've, I've taught with him a little bit and spent a lot of time with him. And through his work and of, of Regenesis, among the other partners with Regenesis, they talk a lot about potential and sort of dissuade people from trying to solve problems and look at how do we create potential instead. And just that, that approach difference leads to a dramatically different result. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of what I have to say about holism or, or what's coming to mind at, at the moment in practice. Um, I, I'm just saying it's very difficult. <laughs> and it's very difficult to train oneself to want to, uh, be working towards a whole because we're all of this culture. We've all been, you know, programmed to a certain extent to uh, value the material world. So I value the material world. I just think there's 
an invisible force or structure behind it that needs to be uh, valued first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful point. It's, it's just so lovely to hear. Yeah, you articulating these things, which resonate so closely with my adventures over the years. Yeah, just just had a, a project on a fairly large piece of land effectively take off in the direction it needed to take off on, but which was around. Look, we're just gonna we're just gonna do stuff, get, and, uh-huh. and you know we just we just need need action. That I mean, I mean, quite often the people I'm supporting in process on pieces of land have the land because they could afford the land, and they can afford the land because they earned enough money to buy the land. And the way they earned the money was by running a successful business. In the in the process of running a successful business for some decades. You're pretty good at playing playing the parts game and it's and the urgency game. So right. it's like we just you know, we just need action, we need movement, we need and then they find themselves in a situation where they're encountering an ecosystem and the default tenancy and it's can be a very strong one, is, is to apply the the rules that have worked for them, the the you know, the habits and the strategies that have worked for them in a in a business context. Right. Which, right. which <laughs> don't work so well in a in a complex ecological system. That's exactly um, right. But yeah, it's 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 fascinating that human dynamic and, and and like you said, sometimes I mean sometimes I, I think of it as you know, some, sometimes people need a taste of, of activity and action. And so and, and there's often things that can start happening that are relatively low risk and like you say, small and and, and the other side of it too is that a a, a critical part of, of really tuning into the wholeness of a place and, and its potential and its deep character and so on is the interact side of observe and interact is, is getting in the mix but it's yeah it's finding the right things and then then the other side of it is as soon as things start happening there can be that it's just it's exciting and and, and suddenly it's just oh now we can do the other thing and the other thing and and you you're just without that vigilance uh, um around process it's like like you're sort of suggesting the inclination to, to want to create things and shift things by finding the parts and joining them together. It's just, it just goes it's unbelievably deep in us. Yeah. And it takes a lot of conscious stewardship to start to come out of that. And even to, to get to the point where you can taste the reason for doing the work, you know, that's, that's right. That's, that's in a way, as I say this, I realize that's a critical threshold for me. If I'm working with someone and we can get to that point where we've honored a different kind of process and the kinds of things Alexander was talking about and as well as Joel Glansberg and his colleagues in Regenesis. It'd be lovely to come back to them. I've done a little bit of stuff with those yeah, uh, yeah. Those characters and yeah, they're, they're hundred percent onto something, <laughs> but yeah, that when the process can be honored and sort of kept like the way I see it is when I'm starting a process, it's, it's very fragile. And first you're crafting the seed and doing work around core intent. And it's like you're crafting the DNA of the project and that's delicate sensitive work and it needs to ha- have its own time. And then, mm-hmm. then, the, then the process begins and you start to do things, but it's still very fragile. And there's all these cultural forces that are kind of bombarding and, and that come from inside us and outside there's just so many opportunities to get off track and for the thing to be sabotaged one way or another. But as it goes forwards and as it starts to yield some fruit and oh wow, you know, the fact we took this long to, to let the right place and curve and everything else of the driveway and the dam or whatever the pond emerge, we get it now. Like it just feels so good. It resolves so many tensions. It has this, it has a little, little bit of that, little something of that quality without a name that Alexander talks of that you can't even really say why it feels so good, but it just, it, it belongs and everything is so adapted. And it, and it like part of Alexander's shtick is, um, is, is that if we can 
re-immerse in healthy living process, we can get to the point where the buildings and the landscapes we're creating, they have increasing degrees of the feeling that we feel in a forest or next to a river on the ocean, that the, the processes humans are deploying or using or engaging to create things, they can come back into, into the flow of how nature goes about creating things, which is always the opposite of assembling parts, which is mm-hmm. a really mechanical approach. And it's about that unfolding, that blossoming, and, and deeply immersing what's already there in the wholeness of the, the situation, the people and the place, and letting you know letting things um, emerge from there. And I, I mean, I suspect you're probably the same because often I'm in a situation where the pretext is, yeah, I'm I'm here to facilitate a process of you developing your farm or your landscape, and I'll nod and agree to that because on a, on a surface level that's true, but I don't see that as my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> My job is to support us all, because I'm on the move too, to be experimenting in shifting culture and shifting our default ways of creating things into, into kind of, I don't know, so birth, birthing, but you know, su- supporting the, the delicate early growth of a different kind of process and, and letting that get stronger and, and have its own integrity so that when it times, comes time for me to move on, and, and sometimes I'm there for many years, but mm-hmm. that, that that's really what I'm, how I see the service I'm bringing is, is, is gifting this this kind of process literacy and where where the project's mm-hmm. going to be there forever, and and if, that, if if a healthy process can keep going, creating these beautiful adapted systems, then that's that's the real the real goal. Yeah, you keep saying these phrases that are beautiful, like um, gifting process literacy. You know that that that's how you view your role. It's, I couldn't agree more, and even the. The, the word choice of gift is actually, honestly, you know, it, that's been something I've struggled with is, is making a living off of doing permaculture work. Um, not so much from the perspective of like, I shouldn't charge for something that's so, you know, natural or, or beautiful or something like that, um, which I hear arguments about, but just more so because my clients end up becoming my friends, you know, and just on a humanistic level is I love my clients and in all my other relationships that involve love, you know, it's not about money. There's no exchange of money, right? So there's, there's some level of this gift in this, you're providing so much more than anybody ever suspected or asked for or, or, or thought that they would get. And that's the culture shifting piece, right? That's the, that's the part that actually gives us the result that we want. To another point that you were talking about with the going back to a timeless way of building, the other key piece from that book was what he calls patterns of events. And he goes on to describe that that quality that can't be named is created by patterns of events. So the repetition of things happening in the same space over and over and over. It's like, why, why does a cathedral feel an old, you know, 200, 300 plus year old cathedral? Why does it feel so amazing in there? Why is there this sense of awe and even like introspection and self-awareness that, and awareness of your surroundings that, that comes from that environment, whether you're religious or not, or regardless of whether it's like a, it's a, you know, Buddhist temple or a Christian church or Jewish synagogue or whatever. It's the repetition of the same thing happening in that space over and over and over and over again that actually yields that quality. 
right? And I think the same is true with our design process that the more that we do it, right? It's the repetition of going through the design process, which grows. It's not just a cyclical thing. It's, it's a sort of like wave form or, or, or I'm not sure exactly what the form is of design process or what the, the, the pattern form is. Um, but it's that repetition that actually changes us, right? I know that for myself, going through the design process over and over again, that's what's gotten me to continue to want to evolve permaculture and, and, and how I see it in new and fresh ways every time. Um, so there's something to that as well. And that's a very cultural piece, right? It, it, that's a human piece, at least. And we have to focus on that. Repetition is a very huge thing. And nobody, do I feel, actually has hit the pattern thing on, on the head yet. Mollison very clearly admits in the designer's manual that he doesn't feel like he's really up to talking about it yet he sees all these patterns all over the world and repeating and he gives his best he says I'm giving my best attempt to describe this and hopefully somebody else will pick it up in the future I'm not sure anybody's actually picked it up in the future I know Toby Hemingway was writing a pattern book and he stopped and I asked him, well, why did why'd you stop writing your pattern book? He said, because I realized I was just explaining it to myself. And I thought that was really profound and powerful because he was explaining what that meant to him. He was explaining his process to himself, right? And it may not be exactly relevant to everybody else because Toby was 25 or however many years down the, the path. Um, and, you know, somebody who's two years out of a PDC picks up that book. They're like, what the hell is this? You know, what is he talking about? <laughs> and that's sort of how he described it. It's like, well, I just realized that it, it wasn't going to be as useful, but it was very useful for me to go through the exercise to explain it to myself. And the patterning thing is huge. It's, it's process. It's, it's the whole, right? The pattern is the whole and we're still grappling with it. You know, I don't think. I know I haven't figured it out. I don't, I hope I never figure it out, frankly, because I like that it grows and it's fresh and, you know, refreshes and I see new things and I'm proven wrong. I love that. That's, I don't want to be right all the time. I want to be wrong so that I can learn <laughs> and do, you know, have an increasing impact that I'm actually trying to have. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. That, um, that last piece has been a, a, a transition for me. It, a journey from characterizing myself as the as the permaculture design expert who's going to deliver the results and is going to generate this master plan by assembling parts and a, and a clever all these clever clever design ideas and it's going to be more or less right you know it's going to be spot on and then when it's critiqued or sometimes i talk about reality going woof you know like something in the reality of the situation that the, the clients are trying to impose their expert generated master plan on doesn't like the master plan, you know, because it didn't mm -hmm. account for that, you know, fe feeling, Oh, you know, I'm, I, I failed. I, I didn't get it right. I wasn't, I wasn't enough of an Oracle to foresee <laughs> that transition from that, which was a space I was very much in transitioning over the years from that into a space of my, my job is to support the, the context here, the people, the, the, the ecology, the whole, whole piece to support the context to, to unfold, you know, to sequentially birth or, or give rise to appropriate shifts and changes and on one puny human and you know there's often several puny humans in the mix but it, but what we're trying to do is to try to discover what the right next move is and as well as occasionally using pens and papers i, I use pen and paper 
a lot less in computers, a lot less these days, but mocking things up on the site and everything else. But, you know, we're tentatively putting out proposals to see if they're a good fit or not. But where our objective is, our volition is to find, to, to hungrily seek evidence that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way to, at first I thought I was trying to um, get rid of my ego, but I think maybe along the way I realized that's pretty hard. So I just, <laughs> I just, I just figured I'd retrain it. And so instead of my ego getting fed when, when my master plan was perfect and, and no one finds any flaws with it, my ego gets a little boost when one of my ideas, act, we, we actually discover that it's the wrong idea. You know, but, but <laughs> I've, I've just sort of switched the, the reinforcement around. And so you know, we, in, inside the process, we get excited. Oh, we tried this and fantastic. We found a reason that it's not quite right or it's completely wrong. So we're going to start again or we're going to tweak it and see if, if we can accommodate this new, new piece of information, which is a, big, is a big shift. And part of what happens there is that suddenly the process, there's just so, so much more feedback going on along the way as opposed to that. It can be so subtle. You just throw an idea down and you assume it's a good idea because it's your idea and perhaps someone else questions it and, and hang on, they're questioning my idea. They're actually questioning me because it was my idea. So I'm going to have to accumulate this arsenal of reasons why it was, you know, and so on. And suddenly <laughs> the whole point of, of honoring the right thing to do here is um, out the window. Right. And with the, with the you're talking about, yeah, the, the importance of the, um, the pattern work, the understanding the patterns of healthy process and, 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 the, and the patterns that healthy process generates and how that's an open story that's not sewn up yet. Um, I, I've taken a lot of inspiration from that, the 2000 page four volume um, masterwork of Alexander, The Nature of Order, mm-hmm. where he brings a totally fresh take on all of this. And, and like, like you said before, it is, I always like to bring attention to that curious fact that pretty much any substantial book in the permaculture literature, and certainly any book that I know of that talks about permaculture design, acknowledges the pattern language of Alexander's with very high acclaim from Bill Molson, the designer's manual, right, you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. David Hongren's latest book, Richard Suburbia, is the whole book is patterned on the idea of a pattern taken from Alexander's pattern language and so on. Mm-hmm. Toby Hemingway, Dave Jackie, you, you name it. But... Or and what happened there is that, and you talked about how when you first read the pattern language, it, was, it didn't really excite you that much. I mean, there was some fresh stuff, but it was more about new ideas. And that's what's happened. And like you said, Alexander looked back and was disappointed with the impact the pattern language book ultimately had because it was co-opted into the mechanistic framework of assembling parts. So people, right. oh, great, we've got a whole bunch of extra patterns that we can, we can just add to our grab bag and we can assemble those as well. And that, that constitutionally is not able to generate the kind of living structure and the quality without a name that Alexander was all about. So he then had to launch on this. Well, I mean, like you said, it helps to read the intro, the timeless mm-hmm. way of building, because <laughs> it, it's all there. Yes. He goes way, way, way deeper into that in the, in the Nature of Order series and, and lays all that out. And, I, and I, I do see that as part of the reason I'm here, I guess, is to continue exploring mm-hmm. that and, try and attempting to, to both really understand it myself, not just intellectually, but experientially in my, in my mm-hmm. work but then to find ways of, of communicating that. Um, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, going back to an, another conversation I had with Toby Hemingway, he, we talked about this pattern language concept a lot, and he said, you know, basically it became a way of organizing the material things. You know, it just became a design methodology to organize things. 
and I see that as true. And and or he's he would say it became a laundry list of things to do. You know, it's like check, 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 check. You know, check the box sort of style of design or plug and play. Or sometimes I describe it to classes as whack a mole approach. You know, it's just like boom, got it, got it, got it. Herb spiral, sheet mulch garden, food forest, swales, key line pond, whatever. You know, it's just. If you read Alexander's work, the totality of his work, there's no way that you can arrive at that being what he was actually talking about. Um, so I, I think he was talking about human development, you know, developing ourselves to be the pattern and sort of seeing the patterns within ourselves and how to then harmonize and work with everything else through, on that pattern level. Um, but mm. unfortunately, it didn't exactly go down that. It didn't end up that way. Yeah, yep. Yeah, no, I agree. And I don't know, like, I see a lot of what he was trying to facilitate was communicating, getting an awareness out there that, that we're modern humans, by and large, we've unconsciously become pawns or um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cogs on a larger machine that's not generating what human beings are capable to, to generate. It's not generating quality, you know, it's generating stuff. It's consumerism. It, it's, I think ultimately it does come down to that. It's, we're just sort of taught to consume and you know value material things and never really even explore anything else Um, so how do we get to quality right is is the question that that i'm always asking myself and i don't mean like a quality design i mean like qualities of a property and the quality of a forest or of you know looking out at the ocean or or whatever it is Mm -hmm. well i see what what i'm interested in is how do we appreciate that the quality of any outcome is to do with the quality of the process. So how, how do we understand the quality of a, of a process? What, what makes a process healthy and able to generate these different outcomes, which even if I, as I hear myself saying, I'm reminded, you know, like you were saying before, someone who, if they were to read Toby's stuff on pattern language, that a lot of them would go, what the hell is this? You know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> conscious of that, of, of that struggle of, of kind of, getting a feel for the, this, these ideas in Alexander's and others' work and, and then making it accessible. And I mean, the, the, I figure the best way is to experience it, to live it, and then to document examples where, where people can appreciate that, all oh, right, the outcomes that were possible here warrant a little bit more of a, of a poke around into the nature of the process that was used. You, you talked about Alexander's work. One issue I've discovered there is that there's just so much of it. And mm-hmm. that, like, uh, I believe in part, at least out of some conversations that David and Holmgren and myself had as, as part of the making permaculture stronger thing early on resulted in them getting copies of the nature of order. Um, uh-huh. But then um, partially because three of three of my copies were lost in a flood. He, he ended up gifting me those three. He kept one, the, the one I recommended the most highly, but he, he said, look, I, d- I just, I have to accept. I don't think I'm. <laughs> don't think I'm going to get these things in my lifetime. You know, I got some other. I got some other stuff going on, and it's like two thousand, two thousand pages. Yeah, yeah. Which is, and and I've heard that again and again. I think Dave Jackie, you know, who's very much in that territory and, and kind of yes. intuited and, and and discovered a lot of these landscapes and places himself. I think I think he said he hasn't hasn't got there yet. So that's that's a challenge. Is how do you how do you? But I guess that's that. It's an exciting challenge too. It's like how do you exactly? How do you, maybe how do you, that's you maybe it? that's what we're aiming for. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is something that out of especially the last year of my teaching sabbatical, I had a lot of time to think about 
what permaculture is in, in, in one sense. Um, but actually you said it really well with, instead of what is permaculture, what can permaculture be? Um, and, and I think that's, that's actually a better approach. And, and I'm going to actually go back and change a bunch of things that I've written, just sort of add that in there. Um, but I've been thinking about it from the perspective of what is permaculture aiming for? You know, what is, what's the aim that we're trying to achieve? And hearing that David is saying, you know, I'm not going to get through this in my lifetime. It's like, that's great. That's actually great news because that means that we're aiming for something and he may not have all the time to, to do it. And you or I may not have the time to do it. And so, you know, the younger generation is going to be the ones to carry it up and continue to get closer to what we're actually aiming for. Um, so that radically changed how I define permaculture to my clients, to my students, to, to myself, which is really that permanent culture is what we're aiming for. And that's what permaculture can be is, is we're aiming for permanence is an interesting word, but especially for me as a Zen practitioner, impermanence is a, you know, major tenant of the Buddhist teaching. And I don't really care about that so much. It's, it's just to say we're aiming for greater permanence in human culture. We, everything is ultimately impermanent. I accept that. Great. Fine. And we're trying to get to a place of greater permanence because right now, it's like any day it feels like we're standing on a precipice of, you know, destruction. And I think that also makes the tent a lot bigger. It sort of opens permaculture up to a lot of other practitioners and other fields and people who are trying to also create greater permanence in human culture. Right. And we can, I think there are very unique things and powerful things about permaculture. That's why I've stuck with it. You know, I, I, I definitely went through the whole process of, should I use this term anymore? Have I sort of outgrown this? Is it not, is it not what I want to, how I want to describe my work? And that clarity of permaculture is the aim has really reinvigorated me and, and refreshed me in, in the sense of, yeah, that's what we're aiming for. And so, so many things fit within it. That's why it's almost impossible to describe, you know, what do you do as a permaculturist? I hate that question. You know, <laughs> Larry Santoyo, uh, another elder permaculturist in the United States, said in a, this might have been from another podcast, actually. They said, if you're in an elevator and you have to give your, you know, 30 second pitch on what is permaculture, he said, I get the fuck off at the next floor. And I, that's just brilliant. I, I don't even want to have the conversation. What is permaculture? It's just like, no. What does it mean to be alive? That's actually a much better question and a more relevant question to what permaculture is. And what it means to be alive to me is to have something we're working towards. And perhaps it's a shame that we're only working towards trying to last, you know, as a species and, and many diverse cultures all over the world like we're trying to last still like we're just trying to you know we're trying to survive and then there's the whole survive versus thrive thing it's just like we're trying to exist in a way that makes sense and allows us to continue to exist frankly that's that's it and i say that's maybe a shame because it's so basic and i've, I've even had a year ago before i took my sabbatical i had a student in a class and he said this all seems so basic and i was like well, you know, it's a 
shame that we've never been taught this stuff, right? Like it might be basic and maybe, you know, some people picked it up along the way in different forms or, or whatever, but we're still there as a human culture, as a species on the planet as we're still trying to figure out how to exist, how to coexist with each other, how to coexist with the natural world. I don't even like that term coexist. So I'm going to take that back. How to exist. Yeah. As, as you're talking, one, one thing I, I love and brings me more alive and brings joy to my heart is as I go deeper into this stuff, it's like for me, I'm realizing that we don't get to authentically exist as humans. We don't, we don't get to be fully alive without contributing more beauty to, to the world, without, without going beyond mere existence and, and becoming more permanent and, and learning how to stick around. It's like to do that authentically, guess what? You've, you've actually got to, like the landscapes around you, the, you, how you show up in the world, the nature of your relationships, they've actually got to get more vibrant more more beautiful more infused with that quality out of with, without a name that's right and once you get a taste for that i mean that is i don't know it's like the universe's ultimate drug <laughs> right exactly there's no, there's no turning back that's what i think people show up at pdcs for you know that's i've i've been in a lot of inquiry within myself about like why the hell do these people keep showing up to this course and I'm not sure that they, they can even describe it to themselves. You know, we have people fill out an application form and describe, why do you want to take this course? And it's always like, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I have this vision of, you know, a homestead or whatever. And increasingly now, since I feel like there's been a, actually a lot of people like us who are, who are talking about permaculture in different ways, we're getting people who are coming to the class that say, I don't want to learn how to farm. I'm like, Really? tell me more. You know, I, I, I really, that's exactly who I want in this class. And I had somebody uh, just the other day submit an application. They said, I want to develop a pattern that's going to allow us to take care of ourselves. And I was like, okay, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Like you're, you know, you're approved during the course. <laughs> um, that's just, I'm not teaching agriculture, you know, I, I'm just not, I, I was never really even interested in agriculture until it came my way and I got into it and I realized how beautiful it was and I just love it. I'm a gardener, I'm a market gardener, I run a farmer's market in my neighborhood. But that's just my passion, I do that for free, I volunteer to do that, that's, I make zero money doing that. For me, it's about the cultural impact of doing that, right, it's about standing there at the market stands and having people walk in off the street and having a conversation about food or even connecting with somebody in my neighborhood who I don't normally connect with um, or who I hadn't connected with before or walking through the rows and just sort of like going through and they come up with stories like, you know, I grew up in Alabama and we had a garden and I know what that plant is and I know what that plant is. I haven't eaten that plant in I don't know how many decades. And I'm like, guess what? Today you, d you get to eat it. And they connect with their story and themselves and they're, they're inquiring within themselves, right? So it becomes that cultural work of you can use a market farm to change the culture, but permaculture is not about market farming. It's about changing the culture. So don't confuse the two, you know, basically is, is my message. Yeah. We're going to have to book in another podcast i'm realizing it was like oh, I've, wow. got a, I've got like a lot of time has passed <laughs> well, yeah and I don't, i'm not saying i want to stop now but yeah i'm just thinking wow it'd be good to go into this more and that more and that more 
as, as you were talking about the, the juncture you came to, which is a juncture I've come to as well, and, and so many people we know I've come to, and a fair few of them have gone the other path, which is like, catch you later, permaculture, thanks for the good time. Right. And then there's the people like you and me that you know, we, we've decided to stick around. And I don't know what it says about us, but with, with, with the idea, to, to me, though, it's like the more people I hear of your caliber and who care this much about permaculture and its future, its evolution, that make the decision to stick around, that to me is like, oh my God, you know, that really increases the chance of permaculture actually staying alive and not stagnating and not just regurgitating what the originators said 40 years ago or whatever and, and, and the thing evolving and it's so right. beautiful like elders like well you talked about what scott Pittman said to you he's tasked you with keeping it alive keeping it moving and and i live nearby and work with david holmgren fairly closely and it's the same energy it's beautiful mm-hmm. like his his part of his take is look I've, i'm passionate about design process but i've got a I'm passionate about a lot of other things too, and, and those things are taking up most of my time. But I want to support this work. I think it's so important. Right, permaculture is has that self reflexivity that it's it's diving back into its own understandings of design process because that's that's really the core of permaculture. And and he, and he so much wants to support and see innovation and, and and evolution in that space. Yeah, I describe it as Scott and I's relationship. I describe as a you know beautiful intergenerational friendship. And first and foremost, we're, you know, we're friends. We talk every week on the phone. Um, and I just care about the guy and he cares about me. That's obvious. And we, you know, have grown together in some ways. And, and I've learned endless amounts of things from him, from the early days of permaculture to looking at his own evolution. I mean, Scott's been down that pathway as well. Of should I leave this behind? And he really stuck with it. And that was an inspiration to me is he wasn't just going to go start something new. He, he stuck with it and he put his feet in the ground and, you know, said, this is it. And I'm going to push for this thing to be what I think it can be. And, and he, he does really believe that that's what Mollison was teaching. He was really teaching culture shifting. It's just, we have to articulate it freshly, I think. I think it's Louis McNamara who says that articulation has to come before manifestation. And so perhaps why we have the manifestation of permaculture that we do is because we have the articulations that we do. And so maybe we need to refresh them and not just regurgitate them because so many permaculture books are just regurgitation. And Mollison was very critical of that. I mean, I have letters from Mollison that say, you know, it would be very refreshing if somebody stopped using all my diagrams and created some of their own. You know, even just that is like, don't don't approach it as if it's this stagnant thing that was set in stone in a permaculture designer's manual, and you know, it never changes. It's a living system. It evol. It must evolve, or it will die. Right, and so. Another aspect of that to me is it's very easy to get in this trap and I'm guilty of it. I've done it myself a lot. I've spent actually way too many years doing it was looking out at the permaculture world and seeing a lot of younger people. I don't mean younger. I mean, newer people to permaculture that are, you know, starting businesses and getting, you know, the internet really allowed that to happen. People to take a PDC 
and run with it. And if you knew, had some tech friends or you're tech savvy yourself, you could just, you know, blow up and regurgitate all the stuff from the designer's manual. And it sounds amazing. But what was a refreshing realization for me was that all of those people are on the same journey that I'm on. And there's no chance that permaculture is going to get distilled down to that because they're those people, the ones that are propagating that, that, that sort of regurgitation. And I don't want to say, I don't want that to sound so negative as, as that word sounds. So I'll just say that, that they're evolving too. Right. And so I've been around long enough to see that, Oh, five years later, that person goes away, right. Or they become a regenerative design practitioner or, or whatever the case may be. So for me to, to, check myself in that I'm looking out at the world as a living thing also, and that it's not stagnant, right? It's very easy to get stuck in that logic, logic trap of like, I'm seeing this thing. That's what permaculture is going to be, but it's not, tr I don't think it's true because I think it is a, a living process and the people who are trying to sort of, who appear to maybe be allowing it to, to stagnate or, or just sort of solidify into the original articulation they're on a journey. And so I don't think there's a chance that permaculture dies. It's also this like uncooptable term, right? I fear that with regenerative, this is another reason why I'm sticking with permaculture because I think the term regenerative is very much going to become the next sustainable. I just, I truly think that once it gets in the hands of general mills and, you know, big corporations that, it's going to become the next sustainable. I saw an ad for a compost company the other day that said, we are practicing regenerative agriculture. I'm like fucking making compost, you know, like you're not even making compost. You're just making broken down plant material. It's not even like living active compost. And so it's just going to become this marketing thing and permaculture for whatever reason, maybe it's just a silly word or something. It resists that, you know, I, I don't see it as co-optable. And so that, that gives me a lot of hope and for what permaculture can be and what, what we can create it to be, you know? So that's why I'm sticking around. Those are two main reasons why I'm sticking around two realizations I've had. That resonates so much at the beginning of making permaculture stronger. Part of how I construed it to myself was, well, I is a parting gift, you know, like, well, at least I want to, get some things off my chest and, and share, mm. share about why I'm heading off in a different direction to this unknown territory where I, I was already feeling afraid of being quite lonely. Mm. Um, and, and, and just getting that stuff out there and, and sharing it and speaking at a few gatherings and, and whatnot, the, just the receptivity was so overwhelmingly positive and warm and like, you know, it was, it, it was in a sense for me, it landed as a feeling of permaculture saying, Hey Dan, come on, stick around. This sounds good. <laughs> Count us. Let's do it. Let's you know. Let's, let's have this conversation and keep it alive. Why? What are you talking about? This is permaculture. Of course, we want to do that. And that was coming at all these different levels. So I was like, oh well. If you if you know, if if everyone I'm talking to or so many people are in and excited about this, then I'm I'm not going anywhere. Right. Like, I'm, right. Cho I'm choosing to take responsibility to to be part of this conversation. Do everything I can to support it. Where where permaculture already is this global medium. That's everything I know about. It just seems so perfectly ready to hold space for the conversation around process evolution and, and wholeness and quality without a name and all, all, all that kind of stuff. Right. And we have to be cognizant that the people who are coming to permaculture now, you know, they're actually seeking what we're talking about. 
I, I, I believe, I see that in my students at least. And as somebody who came before somebody else, it's our responsibility to leave it in a better condition, you know, as basic as that. And so we want to give those people who have this energy or incredibly fired up about making positive change in the world, we want to give them the best of what permaculture can be, you know. So I don't think regenerative design has the same attraction that permaculture has, at least right now. Uh, so permaculture is this kind of gateway into this level of thinking. And I don't want to leave all those people behind or I don't want to, you know, leave them on the sidelines, basically. So we have, yeah, it, it's our responsibility to do this. And, and Scott's really helped me see that too, because there was a time when I was ready to just walk away. Even from the Institute, you know, Scott was like, what the hell are you doing? You know, you're, you're the only, you're the person that I want to pass this off to. And he just helped me see that that's our responsibility as people who have already, you know, been down this path and, and are continuing on this path to leave it in a better condition for the people who are just now showing up and give them something more powerful even more powerful than permaculture's original articulation, which was powerful. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm dissing that at all. I just see that there's more power potential. So I want to give that to the people who are just showing up. Mm, wonderful. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Might just float a few things in terms of next time, if you're up for a next time. Of course. I mean, how could you? Yeah, I mean, after a conversation like this. <laughs> yeah, you ju- you exactly. just said you're in, right? You're in. And I'm yeah. in, so we're going to talk again. But one would be around, I mean, it'd be, it'd be, one thing it'd be fun to do is actually dive into a little bit of some of the technicalities of some of the recent posts, you know, generative transformation and assembly and, and, and all that stuff. That'd be, that'd be really fun because you're, that would be great. you're fairly rare on my radar in terms of someone who's really tuned into that stuff and kind of like, yep, got it and can see how it applies to your actual experience, which is great. But it, w- it would also be wonderful to, to dive into some of the, actu- the, the stories of the, some of the more juicy design processes that we're part of, you know, what, what's actually happening, what's the, mm. uh, and, and, you know, some real graspable outcomes of what is this, all this, all these nice words mean in practice. Right. Um, right. And, then, and then also that question, which I know is a big question for a lot of design colleagues out there, which is how the heck, it sounds good, but how the heck do you make a living out of this? Which mm. is something that, a question I've been receiving for a long time and, and I've been doing some pretty active experimentation with, so it'd be fun to share results. And this is an important part of the mix right now. Is It is. We're um, still embedded in this system, so we have to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, yeah, that's been, that's been a struggle for me, honestly. Teaching has been more productive for me financially, I would say, than, than design has. Um, perhaps more because I had a university teaching gig for six years. So that was an actual job. You know, I, I was employed as a permaculturist basically. Um, but it's challenging. And and sometimes, you know, I get people who sign up for submit an application for a course and they say, I want to make permaculture my job and I want to make a good livelihood. And I'm like, damn dude, I'm sorry, but you're barking up the wrong tree on some level. Um, not to say that you can't do it, but it's not a take the PDC and, you know, you suddenly have a good livelihood after it. I've never seen that to be the case. Yeah, I actually say it's becoming more common. Like I could list more um, people that are, that are doing, doing okay. 
That's yeah, good to hear. But it's still, it's still, well, you know, I've, I've had people that come, I just want to make a full-time living just doing design or, or something or say, well, rethink that one. Like that, even if you could get the work, it's going to drive you crazy. Um, it's going to stop being fun pretty fast. And I, <laughs> I'm also encountering people that have had a certain amount of success in basically selling master plans, you know, where it's mm. pretty simple models. Like instead of a permaculture plan, instead of a landscape architecture plan, it's a permaculture plan, same deal. I'll come in, I'll make a couple of visits, we'll have a few conversations. And I'll, yep. I'll, I'll present you with a nice looking plan, you'll pay me some money and then I'll move on to the next client. And if I, if I have one client per fortnight or per month or whatever, I, you know, I can predict an income and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Where the question from them is, how the hell does this work? You, you, Dan, you know, you're saying you're a process facilitator now and you might be working with people from two to 10 years and you know, what, what, right. the, what the hell? <laughs> and, and so I've been, I've been, I've been in a sense trying to prove that it is possible. <laughs> yeah. possibly, right, right. possibly going in with more with my standard excess optimism, but, but at the same time I've, you know, got some runs on the board and it'd be fun to share that um, as well because I, well, I, I, it's a big part of the, you know, the, the sell in a sense is like, not only is this more authentic to what permaculture is really about, not only can it create unprecedented levels of adaptiveness and beauty and all the rest, you can also make a good living out of it. Right. At that point, I feel like it's like game over. Like in theory, people will be like, hell yeah, sign me up. Right. I'd say increasingly there's more people who are even ready for the, the more intensive process oriented work um, than just wanting a master plan. And I'm pretty sure that you you and I have both been down that sort of provide a master plan track um, for years. And I just got tired of seeing my designs not get built. And I think if you have that experience and you're able to explain that and articulate that to a client, that that's why you should not be coming to me and asking for a master plan. It's a pretty good sales pitch and people are increasingly ready for it is what I'm finding. Yep. So uh, I turn people away from master plans, uh, even people who just say, no, I, after I give my best pitch for the process work, they, you know, say, no, I still really just need a master plan. I'm like, well, good, go find somebody else, you know, yeah, like, yeah. there's plenty of people that'll do it. Here's a number. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. I mean, that might be fun to explore too. Cause I've, I've been developing that language and it's, it's the confidence in having done a different way of doing process. So you, so you can bring it to the table and, and how, and how do you present that? But also, do, how do you, as fast as possible, find the people that, even even though they might say, yeah, it sounds good, mm. what they want deep down is a master plan, which is fine, but the sooner you can figure that, the better, so they can go off and get one, and you can go off and do what, what it is you want to do. Right, right. Yeah. It's difficult to do that in the traditional design trade, in my experience, because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these folks have been architects or landscape architects for decades, and pretty ingrained in their way of doing things yeah so that's a real that's a real challenge i still provide some master plans you know i kind of have to you know that that's just sort of my reality and if i feel like it's worth it for a project to do that because it's not totally true that a master plan is useless it's not that it's useless it's just not as powerful as something else so if I have a permaculture friend, Marco Lamb in, in Boulder, Colorado, who says, you know, if somebody is just growing zucchinis for the rest of their life and that's the result of it, like that's better than them not growing zucchinis. And I'm like, okay, yes, I can see that angle. You know, he helped me appreciate that, that, 
that also was a level of change. You don't have to go all the way, you know, out, out yeah. the gate. Yeah, and I mean, that would be a quick, pretty quick master plan to generate too, just a <laughs> quick rectangle, zucchinis here. Right, exactly. Well, maybe maybe you could justify the expense of a, of a plan, but you could draw in the individual zucchinis. Right, right. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I wanted to. It feels like a bit of a, like a confession, but but, I, but at the moment, I'm currently on one project. I, I consciously chose to deliver master plans, or, uh-huh. or, or you know, I had to ascertain that they wouldn't act fully as master plans usually act. But but I had to generate right. plans for a large a large um, project in order to get the job and, and to have a crack at, at doing something a little bit different in a in a public space or a, you know, some different communal spaces. And it is nice to have something that, you know, sort of a design result to show, you know, to, to even market yourself with, you know, I think that's huge having a nice plan that can bring somebody in the door and that yeah. can lead to the deeper conversation. Yeah, yeah that's right. So do a couple of, ma- the, the take home is do a couple of master plans and then use them to sell processes that don't use master plans. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. The problem is the solution. <laughs> Yeah, great. Yeah, and I mean, it's so important in all of this that dogma is not useful. And, you know, if you're in a situation, yeah, sure, we, you know, where you're not otherwise going to be able to take steps toward um, process innovation without going th- through some of these stages, then. Right. Sh- sure, whatever. But at the same time, yeah, like, I want to I kind of keep a sort of a thumb in people's sides, uh, you know, like, hey, <laughs> Don't get too comfortable there because there's, you know, there's, there's other things that are possible as well. Exactly. And I do have some good stories about recent actual, actually clients that came to me for a master plan and I had success at, you know, convincing them that they don't want a master plan. And so those, those have been beautiful experiences. I, I just finished up one in, in the state of Illinois, just across the river from me and had just the most amazing time. Uh, these people became close friends immediately. Uh, it was just just a beautiful process. And if nothing else, they get a good friendship out of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, well, why don't we do that? I'd, I'd love to organize another chat. And I think that I could see that really being useful for, for listeners to, to, you know, we can both share a couple of detailed stories about what happened. This is how the job started. This is what it was. This is the different direction. Some of the, you know, the hairy moments, all that, all that kind of stuff, the nitty gritty mm-hmm. as something to anchor some of these, some of these ideas we're, we're passionate about too, as well. That'd be awesome. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Well, I, yeah, it's been really special to be in conversation. It's also been special that this, this has been our first face-to-face conversation, even though you're in the States on Australia. Um, right. The first video chat, it's become a podcast as well, because often I'll have a kind of a practice conversation to get to know, know someone first, although I guess we, I already had a sense of we had a feel for each other from the messaging and comments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I just felt a resonance, Dan, honestly. And I've, I've told you this in, in comments, which is it's incredibly courageous to be doing what you're doing, you know. I've not done what you're doing like so publicly in the, you're going to conferences and you're talking about this, you're doing this very publicly and interviewing lots of people and kind of grappling with it publicly. And that's, that's courageous and beautiful and actually a shining example of exactly what we're talking about. Right. So that it's, it's an ongoing process and you're not coming into this saying, I have the answer and this is it. You're sort of exploring as you go. And 
I can tell that people who are following your work, like they're right along with you, you know, they're exploring right along with you and they feel like they're a part of the process and they're, they're not just being fed something. So that's beautiful. And I just, I want to thank you for doing this work. It's really been an uplifting. Yeah. There were, there were a couple times in the last year where I was like, I might just call this all quits and give up the permaculture thing and, you know, go be a lifty at a ski resort or something. <laughs> but you, your, your blog came into my sphere just, just in time. And it's really been a positive form of upliftment. Mm, no, thanks so much. Receive, receive that gratitude and, re- and appreciate it. And uh, right. yeah, and appreciate that sentiment too, that not just for yourself, but you, that, that's your sense of others too, which is, which is a deep desire of mine that a big part of me starting making permaculture stronger was I want, I, I, was, I actually need if I, either I'm going to go insane or I need to be in a conversation with other people mm. that want to have this kind of conversation and be doing this kind of work. And that's you know, the biggest power for me is connecting with people around the world that, that give a shit about this stuff. And, and I, right. I can already sense, I mean, it's already happening in this conversation for me to be getting that sen- same sense um, back from you. It's almost like I feel like there's an unconscious agreement here. Like, <laughs> like either we're going to stick through with this and make this happen or else we can go and be lifties together, you know? <laughs> right, right. Sounds good. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much. And I look forward to, to part two and beyond. Likewise, Dan. Thank you so much. Wow. What a wonderful conversation. How good was that? I'm so looking forward to the next installment, which we've already booked in in a couple of weeks time feel so stoked to have colleagues of this caliber uh, in the mix and feeling even more excited about taking this these flavors forward in my own work as i hope you are feeling about taking them forward in your own work i said i'd give you a bit of an update on where making permaculture stronger is at as it as a project so the upshot is i'm feeling really filled with energy and life for it i'm excited about where it can go from here i'm excited about freeing up more of my own time to be researching experimenting experiencing reflecting conversing and writing quality posts for the blog progressing the making permaculture stronger book making more higher quality videos including getting documented footage of different kinds of permaculture design process as well as of course recording more of these lovely podcast episodes a step towards that i wanted to mention is that i created a patreon page no pressure but if anyone out there does feel grateful for what they're getting out of this and wants to chime something in be my guest the experiment i'm doing at the moment is to see if there is any interest out there in supporting this project with a little bit of a financial drip feed starting at one dollar a month 12 bucks a year in which case i'd be excited to be able to then free up more time to to take it to the next level so here you go already a grad magnificent total of seven dollars is flowing into the making permaculture stronger coffers once a month which is the first time it's ever anything like that's happened so i'm excited to see where that wants to go from here and to be able to listen to that as a form of feedback in um in guiding the, the evolution of this thing from here now i'll give links in the blurb to jason's website the institute that he heads up or le- um, is the director of and real earth design makingpermaculturestronger.net is the blog this podcast is part of all sorts of stuff going on there you can check out i thank you for your time thanks for listening i hope this was of service
towards all the great stuff you're doing in your work and I look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, I wish you well. Thank you.